Morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Um, what a wonderful day uh, to begin afresh and to begin a new week. And uh, we are in our final, our second to last week of chapel. So as we are heading in towards the last couple weeks here, uh, this week we're going to be exploring and expounding upon a much-needed theme, and that of rest in Sabbath. And that maybe seems counterintuitive to you know, maybe what is perhaps the most busy season for each of us, um, but one that is much needed. And I'm really grateful and excited uh, that this, uh, both today and tomorrow, we have uh, a speaker, A.J. Swoboda, who is going to be with us and also with us tonight. And before I introduce him and bring him up, tonight um, we're going to be hosting an evening with A.J. with conversation and ice cream. Um, I know it's a little cold out, but ice cream's good any time of year, right? So, um, thank you. So that's tonight from 6 to 7.30 uh, p.m. in G210. Chapel credit will be offered. So uh, grab your dinner, and you can feel free to bring that in. We have dessert, and uh, AJ will be there. Uh, time to really bring questions, and he's going to be talking about um, uh, Sabbath today, what it is tomorrow, about how to apply it. But tonight talking about his primary objections, objections and obstacles of practicing the Sabbath. So let me tell you a little bit about A.J. Uh, he has a pastor and professor and author. He's an author of an award-winning book called The Subversive Sabbath, from which you'll be speaking um, out of some of those central themes of today and tomorrow. He's the assistant professor of Bible and theology at Eastern University in Oregon. He loves Jesus, his family, and pancakes. So those are good things. Uh, so please give a warm Northwestern welcome to A.J. Swoboda. And would you please uh, extend a hand out as we pray over him and a hand up as we pray for ourselves. Father in heaven, thank you so much that we have not received a spirit of fear to fall back into slavery, but a spirit of adoption by which we can cry out, Abba, Father. Thank you that we are your kids, your beloved ones, and thank you that we can gather together uh, this morning to encounter you to, together in community. Thank you for bringing uh, AJ here. I pray that you would fill him afresh with your spirit, that you would uh, flow through him, that he'd be a pure channel of your grace, and Father, that he'd be a conduit of your blessing and uh, by which we would be presented with that invitation to enter into your rest and help us in the midst of our distracted, divided lives, to enter into the wholeness of your shalom, of your peace. And Lord, may you have your will and way with us this morning. We love you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. If you have a copy of the Bible, we're going to be reading from that, Exodus 20. Feel free to make your way there. Um, uh, thank you for choosing uh, to let one of your 22 required chapel things this quad be today. I'm grateful that you were forced to be here. I am, uh, I am from Oregon. Uh, do we have any Oregonians in the room? There's one and a loud one over here. Um, cool. You have an Oregon shirt on. Is that right? I love you. May the Lord be with you, and also with you. <laughs> it is, I have been told, the end of your semester. Uh, I, uh, having been uh, both an undergrad graduate and a PhD student, I know what's going on right now. You 
are now at the end of your semester. You have uh, poured yourself out. You've got 1,900 finals two weeks from now. You have been eating top ramen 14 straight days. Some of you are questioning God's existence and are wondering if there's any hope at the end of the day. And I have been brought in today to give you hope. That is my job today. You will get through, but what I want to talk about today is a principle and an idea in the Bible that I'm convinced probably most of you have forgotten about. If you're honest, how many of you this morning in a, a moment of honesty would say right now that you're absolutely exhausted? Okay. And even, even the ones around you that can't raise their hands are too tired to do so. <laughs> Pretty much everybody in this room is exhausted. I want to talk about why that is. And I don't think it's just about the finals. I think that there's something in the Bible that we have forgotten that God really, really, really cares about. A couple of years ago, I was told this story. In a moment, I'm going to read from the Bible, but I want to start with this story. A few years ago, I was told about this phenomenon. When you take... Uh, the stories of those that served in World War II. My three grandfathers served in World War II. Uh, my step-grandfather, uh, who was um, drafted to play in the NBA, but he was drafted by the Chicago Bulls, um, was a week before Pearl Harbor. When Pearl Harbor happened, he had to choose between fighting in the war or playing basketball. And he, as so many men in his generation, fought in the war. My grandfather, Rudy, uh, built airplane strips on islands in the South Pacific. My grandfather, Frank, was an airplane pilot. In fact, he was the guy, my grandpa Frank was the guy who flew a Himmler, who was Adolf Hitler's right-hand guy, flew him to the Nuremberg trials. So my, my grandparents fought in World War II, and when you take World War II veterans and you compare them to Vietnam, you have two very different stories. When you look at World War II, for example, you notice that when the, when the men came back from World War II after having fought the Nazis, that they came back and were, they were ecstatic. Our culture, it was like our culture had defeated evil, right? Hitler had been killed, the Third Reich had been dismantled, they came back, and it was, everybody was crazy happy. Drug abuse plummeted, uh, abuse, family abuse plummeted, uh, uh, personal mental health, PTSD rates super low among World War II veterans. In fact, our culture was so happy uh, that we have a name uh, for what happened when all those men came back. They're, they're called baby boomers. They just came back and had a bunch of kids. They were really happy. When you compare World War II with Vietnam, it was a very different experience. Um, when, world, when Vietnam ended, when the men came back, super high levels of PTSD, high levels of abuse, one of the worst heroin epidemics in American history. And you look at these two wars and you wonder what was different between these two. There's one theory. And the theory is this. When Vietnam ended, the men literally got <clears throat> on planes from fighting the Viet Cong in the jungles of Vietnam. They got on planes and within two to three days were back in their living rooms carrying their babies and holding their, their wives and, and being back in their living rooms. Three days. But that didn't happen in World War II. When World War II ended, the men didn't get on planes and fly home. What did they do? They got on boats. And they sat in the middle of the ocean, in some cases, two to three months. Well, what do you do when you sit on a boat 
with people you just fought in a war with. You weep. You cry. You process. You tell your story. They literally believe there was a generation of veterans in Vietnam that have paid such incredible prices because they were never given a chance to process what happened. I, I don't know if you know this. Some, we've got a younger room, room here. I don't know if you know this, but it actually used to be, I think that's a metaphor for our culture, by the way. It used to be that as a culture, we used to rest. We used to have rest in, in our culture. We're, we, in fact, there used to be these things, if we have any older people in the room, uh, we used to have these, these things called blue laws. Literally, in Oregon, where I'm from, blue laws existed until the 1950s that everything shut down on Sundays. You couldn't go to Denny's 24-7. You could go six days. You couldn't go to the bank 24-7. You couldn't go to the McDonald's. You, everything shut down one day a week. What would happen on Sundays? Everything would shut down, and you would go home. If you were younger, you remember this, because you'd go home, and you'd, be, you'd go to church in the morning, and then go home, and you'd be crazy bored. And your parents would take a nap. And their, their door was always locked. And you're like, why is this? This is the weirdest nap ever. I'm, I'm serious. You talk to, to, to people that remember this. And you would just be at home all day. You'd be bored. This used to be the law. It, it was the law. And we don't have anything like that anymore, don't, do we? I mean, we don't rest at all. We have no rest at all. I live in Portland, and you know what I've learned about Portland? I love the city of Portland, but there's so much about it that drives me crazy. When you live in a place like Portland, young people are so exhausted because when you live in a really justice-oriented city and every, you're supposed to always be doing right and good and, and be altruistic, is it's exhausting not knowing what stuff you're supposed to be mad about this week. Right? Like, it's exhausting. And I think, you, did you know this, that suicide rates among your generation are skyrocketing right now? You, I'm going to tell you why. Because, friends, I think our souls are just exhausted. And we don't know how to stop. What I want to say is I think that God knows what he's doing. This is the Bible, Exodus chapter 20. These are the Ten Commandments. I'd call them pretty important. You know these. Commandment number one, Exodus 20. Don't have any other gods before me. Commandment two, don't make an idol. Don't, make, don't worship anything that looks like God. Commandment three, don't misuse God's name. Commandment four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons nor your daughters, nor your manservants or maidservants, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the, the, the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but God rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Commandment five, honor your mother and your father. Commandment six, do not murder. And I love that those two commandments have always gone next to each other. <laughs> By honoring your parents, we mean like don't kill them. That's a good start. <laughs> don't commit adultery. Don't, 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 commandment number eight, don't steal. Commandment nine, don't lie. Don't give false testimony. And commandment 10, don't be jealous. 
you go through these Ten Commandments, and you listen to these. Can, can I just, I think that this is fascinating. Can I point out that of the Ten Commandments, there is only one of them that begins with the word remember. And it is the fourth commandment. It is the commandment that says, remember to rest. It's the only one that begins with the word remember. It's like God knew what he was doing. Because I think God said that because he knew that this is the one commandment that we would be most likely to completely forget. We are exhausted because we have forgotten. Five years ago, I decided I was, I was going to preach on this. We had started this church in Portland. It was killing it, which is, it, we just, it was just awesome. This church was reaching all of these people. I mean, we literally had an executive from the show Portlandia coming to our church and meeting Jesus. It was a miracle. That does not happen in the normal world. And we started this church, and f five years into the church plant, everybody got super tired. Because planning a church is hard work. So I decided, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach on this and see what happens. Let's, like, try this thing out. So I preached on it. I preached for three weeks on the Sabbath. And I thought everybody would love it. Now, I've, I'll tell you, I've preached on all sorts of things that have made lots of people mad. It's really awesome, by the way, being a guest preacher, because I'll be gone in two days and... You can email other people and tell them your problems with it. I'm fine with that. I thought everybody would love this idea of the Sabbath. So I preached for three weeks on it. And I have preached on all sorts of things that have made lots of people mad. I've preached on sexuality. I'm super conservative when it comes to sexuality. I've preached on it, not made a lot of friends on that topic. I've, I preached a whole sermon against marijuana once because I live in Portland. Someone's got to talk about this stuff. Um... I've preached on polyamory. I mean, I've preached on things that, I've preached on politics. I've preached on things that have made people mad at me. And I, I preached for three weeks on the Sabbath. Three weeks. And we have never had more people leave the church. People were so scandalized about this idea. And they were super mad at me for bringing up what the Bible says. Which is odd. It's weird to have that happen, right? So the elders in our church said, we should sit down and talk about this. Why are you preaching on this, and what, what are we going to do about it? Like, are we supposed to start doing this stuff? And so I was meeting with the elders, and we were talking about the Ten Commandments. And I had, as we were talking about the Ten Commandments, the darkest epiphany I have ever had as a Christian. As we were talking about the Ten Commandments, it dawned on me that as a pastor, if I was to break nine of these commandments, right, if I committed adultery, I'd probably lose my job. If I stole money from the church, I'd probably lose my job. If I murdered somebody, I'd definitely lose my job. <laughs> it dawned on me that if I broke nine of these commandments, these elders would fire me. But if I don't take a day of rest every week, 
they'll probably give me a raise. And for the first time in my life, I realized something that terrified me. That we literally give people raises and incentivize people to break one of God's commands. We don't believe in the Ten Commandments. We believe in Nine Commandments in one subtle suggestion. And I guess my question is, at what point did we think God didn't really know what he was doing? At what point were we like, God, these, these, these Ten Commandments are, I mean, nine of them are just awesome. That whole murder thing, brilliant. <laughs> the whole adultery thing makes complete sense. The whole worship thing, yes. And then we come to the Sabbath one and we're like, but I don't have to do that one. At what point were we like God didn't know what he was talking about? At what point did we think God was joking? By the way, our understanding of the Sabbath, it's so weird. We are so good at listening to like Christian cliches more than the Bible. I mean, how how often have I heard a pastor, a well-intentioned Christian say something like this? I don't need to take a day of rest because the devil never rests. I hear that all the time. And my response, of course, is that is like literally, literally why he's the devil. <laughs> right? I mean, the guy's, the guy's just exhausted. Give him a day of rest, and I don't know, there might be some changed heart there. I don't know. And I, I know it kind of sounds funny, but actually, you know what's really interesting? Jesus actually teaches us about the devil and how the devil never rests. Did you know, some of you love being busy, and we think that we're godly by being busy. Man, I'm busy. Can I tell you something? In the Bible, read about Jesus and God. They are never described as being busy. Why? Because when you're God and you've invented time, you can't be late for stuff. Get him. <laughs> right? Because you're, like, you are creator of time. So you walk into a room, and it's like, I made it, so it's, I'm right on time. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> We think busyness is a quality of, of godliness. God, there is only one spiritual entity in the Bible described as busy. Do you know who it is? Satan. In Job chapter one, God says to Satan, when Satan talks to God, and, and God says, where have you been? And Satan says, I have been running to and fro throughout the earth. He is literally saying, I've been busy. You, there, you remember that time that Jesus cast the demon out of the woman and he says that the demon goes through arid places looking for a place to rest? There's a principle, friends. Here's the irony of the Bible is that God knows how to rest, but the demons don't. Here's another thing. We say things like this. I don't need to rest because at the end of the day, I'm going to heaven. And the point is, friends, if you don't rest, you're just going to get there a lot faster. And God never, created, God never created you to burn out here and now. God actually created you to live life the way God wanted. This idea of Sabbath, it, it is everywhere in the Bible. You go to the beginning of the Bible, pages 1 and 2, Genesis 1 and 2. It is God tells Adam and Eve, he creates them, he puts them in the middle of this garden, he says, makes them on day 6, and he says, you guys are going to rest for one whole day. 
When you take that creation story, by the way, and you compare it to the other creation stories in the ancient world, if you ever take an Old Testament class here or you take a religion history class, you're going to have a professor who's going to point this out, that the, Christ, the, the Jews in Genesis 1 and 2 were not the only people who had a creation story. The other religions had them too. The Egyptians, the Akkadians, the Babylonians, all of them had a creation story. And what's super interesting is when you take the creation story in the Bible and you compare the creation story to all the other religions. Because there are three things that the creation story in the Bible does that no other religion does. Number one, the creation story in the Bible is the only one in which God says everything that he has made is good. Do you remember when he's, he can't get through a day without patting himself on the back and being like, that's baller. That's incredible. I made that. Well done, me. God can do that. Now, you and, you and I do that. It's called pride. When God does it, it's called honesty. And he makes good stuff. Right? You go, and, and actually, when you, when you think about everything God has made, do we corrupt it? Yes. Martin Luther, John Calvin talked about this all the time. God makes good, but the devil takes good and corrupts it into evil. The evil is only a bad riff on God's good creation. When you think about good things, have you ever, have you ever had a mango? And I'm not talking like, like one of those mangoes you get at like the, like Albertsons or Safeway or whatever store you have here. I'm, I'm talking like, like one of the mangoes that is like at the super high end, or they, they just brought it off the boat and it's like you eat it and it just, the mango and it just like drips. And you have to like change your shirt after eating this mango? Have you had that mango? Have you ever once in your life finished that mango and afterwards said, yeah, there's no God? No! Why? Because the Bible's right. Romans 1. That God has put his invisible qualities in everything he has made. That when you eat a mango... You are tasting the love of God. If you have a friend who's an atheist, just buy him a mango. And say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Everything God makes is good. The second thing the creation story does that none of the other religions do. Second thing, notice this. It's the only creation story in the ancient world that says that women are made in the image of God. No other religion says that. So much so, friends, that when Jesus is resurrected from the grave, it is the dude disciples who are in a room terrified. And it's the women who go and see that the tomb is empty and go and, go and tell the men, Easter is here. What's my point? Friends, honestly, I don't, we live in a world that continues to say that this book is against women. And I gotta tell you from page one on, this is a God who loves and affirms the sanctity of women. And the third thing that the creation story does that none other does, this is the only thing the Bible, it gives us that no other religion gives us, 
is that the creation story in the Bible is the only one that says you get a day off every week. You and I literally should be dancing in the aisles right now. We literally worship the God who invented the weekend. Praise the Lord. Can I get an amen? amen? Can I point something out to you? Have you ever thought about this? Adam and Eve, they weren't made on day one. They weren't made on day two. They weren't made on day three. They were made on day six. Adam and Eve were made on day six. What was day seven? It was rest. Have you ever thought about this? That Adam and Eve's first day of existence was a day of rest. They didn't begin with work. God started their life and he said to them, you haven't done a lick of work, man. You haven't done nothing. Why don't you guys take your first day and just enjoy? Friends, that is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus says to you that you rest in Christ before you've done a lick of work. Any of you that think that God will love you once you've repented, once you've finished your degree, once you've stopped cussing, once you've stopped looking at pornography, once you've done those things, then God will love you. That is not good news. That is fake good news. Good news is before you've done a lick of change, the God of the universe is infatuated with you. My son is seven. He's going to be eight in just a couple months. He's an only child. My son is seven. You know what he's been doing for seven years? He hasn't been working. <laughs> you know what he's been doing for seven years? He's been eating my food and playing Legos for seven straight years. <laughs> he was in my wife's womb for, 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 for nine months. Do you know what he, you want, you, want to, you want to know what he did for nine months? I'm going to tell you what he did. He didn't work. You know what he did? He just kind of kicked and punched and just sat there and let somebody else feed him through his stomach. <laughs> Pretty good gig. Can I just point out that's the way God started you, you out, is that you started your life with enjoyment? That God started you with the Legos and the pancakes and the food? That God started you with resting? To be theologically accurate, to end the life of an unborn child is to end the life of a child who is at rest. God started us with the Legos and the food. We will get to work, Lord willing, get to work. But you start with enjoyment, don't you? That is the heart of God. Here's what's crazy. Even Jesus Christ, who was God, fully God, we believe that Jesus was God, not sometimes God, not God at one point, but not another, eternally God, always God, that when God comes to the world in Jesus Christ, even Jesus chooses to rest all the time. Jesus is always sleeping. 
He's always sleeping. He sleeps every day. And then he's sleeping in the back of the boat. He's sleeping when everybody's trying to pray. Or, trying to pray, or he's not sleeping when everybody's... I, by the way, I think that's really interesting. Jesus is always sleeping when everybody's awake. He's always awake when everybody's sleeping. In the boat, when the disciples are terrified, he's snoring in the back. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's wide awake praying. The disciples are all asleep. I love that Jesus didn't live. My spiritual director always says this to me. It is never a mark of spiritual maturity to be well-adjusted to a perverse and sick world. Jesus did not live rhythms according to the world. He lived rhythms according to the Father. But what's crazy to me is that Jesus Christ came to this world and needed to rest. He got away. How many times is Jesus off praying with his Father and the disciples are like, where is Jesus? Jesus had to rest. Every Sabbath, Jesus showed up and he went into the synagogue. He rested, he stopped. Jesus obeyed this beautiful principle of rest. And I guess my question is, are we better than Jesus? And if we're better than Jesus, man, do we misunderstand Jesus? Because here we follow Jesus, he doesn't follow us. I love when Moses goes up on the mountain. <laughs> God gives him the law and he comes back down the mountain. I love that when he comes back down the mountain, all of, the, uh, all of Israel is down at the bottom worshiping a golden calf. Which, by the way, that is literally why we pastors are really bad at taking sabbaticals. We're terrified of what happens if we leave. But I'm gonna tell you what our real fear is is we're terrified of what's gonna happen if we come back down and everybody's still worshiping God because we're gonna realize we're not as important as we thought we were. I wonder if we're terrified to leave because we're afraid of realizing that we're not as important as we thought we were. Can you give me one more minute? I appreciate those that are stepping out. That's fine. But for the rest of you, could you just stay with me for one more minute? I wanna close with an image. Tomorrow, I'm going to actually talk about how to rest. I'm going to take a whole day. We're going to talk a whole day. We're going to take 30 minutes and talk about rest. But I want to close with an image. When I was writing my book on the Sabbath, uh, I came across this, this, uh, this terrifying image. When the Jews were in the Holocaust, concentration camps, they were put in the worst position imaginable. But one of the hardest parts for the Jews was how do you keep a Sabbath when you're in a concentration camp? And so the Jews during the Holocaust and during World War II were put in this position of they would do everything in their power to keep a Sabbath. They would literally have Sabbath in, in latrines and toilets. They would carve out holes in the wall so they could have Sabbath services. And the Nazis figured out that if they wanted to destroy the hearts of the Jews, what they had to do was they had to disrupt the Sabbath. So the Nazis figured out that if they gave the Jews most of their food on Sunday, they would run out of food by the following Saturday, which was the Jewish Sabbath, and they'd be hungry, emaciated, and they'd lose hope. So the Nazis did everything to destroy the Sabbath. I was reading um, a journal entry from one of the Nazis that was in one of these concentration camps. He was writing to his superior and he's writing about how they do everything in their power to destroy the Sabbath for the Jews. And he writes this. I want to quote this for you. This Nazi soldier says, 
We have learned by time and tradition that the greatest way to rob the spirits of the Jews is to rob them of their rest because every time they rest, it's like they get their spirits back. And I read that, and my immediate thought was this. That is the voice of the evil one over our generation. Is that he is doing everything in his power to get you to a place where you have no space to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Where you have no space to hear God's love. So you are constantly being robbed. Friends, what I want to talk about tomorrow and what I hope I've provoked you to think about today is that when God said, remember that you need rest, he wasn't being a comedian. He knows you. And he made you on day six with intentions that you would start with rest. And as I hope, as I close my time today, that you hear that. And that you remember that every time you eat a mango, every time the weekend comes along, that you remember God is infatuated with you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I'm done. I'm out of time. I'm really grateful for the people that stayed in this room. I'm also grateful for the people that walked out. And I mean that because they were here. And I pray that every person in this room that heard the Bible today, that they heard the voice of the Spirit. And that we would be comforted and provoked. And that we would hear your voice say, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest, Jesus says. Friends, in the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen.